podcast for Friday, July 16th. We begin with our weekly chat with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. As we head into the final weekend of Stampede 2021, we ask the mayor his thoughts on whether or not he considers this smaller scale version of the greatest outdoor show on earth a success. Next, we head stateside for a look at the issues making headlines this week. We speak with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief, with details on rising COVID cases down south which has forced Los Angeles County to now reinstate a mask mandate. We've heard countless tales on the impact the pandemic has had on charity and nonprofit organizations across the country, but now some good news for one of those organizations. We hear about how Diabetes Canada is now ramping up its donation campaign and just how important those donations are for their annual fundraising. And finally, the Stampede is over 100 years old, but for the first time in the history of the event, the nightly grandstand show is being directed by a woman. We meet the new woman in charge, Angela Benson. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Oh, good morning. There you are. I tell you what, maybe it's, we said some people might be a little bleary artists or into <laughs> the greatest outdoor show on earth. I'm wondering, as we're into day eight now, Mr. Mayor, uh, well, last weekend ahead, all eyes on the weekend. Might be a little smoky and warm, but uh, if you haven't taken advantage, this is your opportunity. I'm wondering, because I've seen pictures of you down at Stampede Park, can we consider this a different edition of the Stampede a success? I think so. You know, uh, certainly it's much quieter, um, and people are making their decisions on whether or not they're ready to go. And myself, I have found that my personal comfort level has been growing a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Um, but at the same time, you know, I just hope that everyone understands that the Stampede did all they could to accommodate people at very different comfort levels, but really to try and make sure that everyone feels safe. And I really do. You know, I had uh, I had the opportunity. I, I I get just a couple of tickets a year to host people uh, for the rodeo, and I generally take kind of frontline uh, city workers. You know, uh, who would never get that opportunity before. And this year, uh, I was wondering who I should take, and my assistant said to me, "You know, you've never taken your family. <laughs> take your family this year. It's the last on one." And, uh, you know, my sister and her husband have been extremely COVID cautious, and I kind of talked them into coming and said, you know, it's a very safe hosting environment. And once they got there, they're like, do you think we can go out on the midway and get some mini donuts? <laughs> well, yeah. And I said, sure. And at the end, you know, she said, my sister said, you know, I'm so glad I did that. It really felt like a transition moment for me, and I still felt safe. They wore their masks. Not that many people are wearing their masks. Some people are. And ultimately, everyone is welcome. So I'm really happy for that. And I think for a lot of people, it marked a moment. And even for those who are not yet comfortable, I hope they understand everyone's being responsible. And we'll see you next year. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It is. It, it does feel like a transition time when you're down there, for sure. What is it like, speaking of transition, what's it like when you see all 200 mayoral ca- uh, hopefuls <laughs> out there campaigning, uh, you know, at the midway and, you know, glad-handing down at Calgary Stampede? You don't have to do that anymore. What's that like? I enjoy making fun of them when I go <laughs> up, on, uh, up on stage. I, you know, I always introduce them, whoever's there, who's a candidate, because I, I have a lot of respect for anyone who puts their name forward. I will tell you on a couple of occasions I've laughed because, you know, I've been saying for months it's time for new and diverse voices, and then I listen to some of them and go, mm, not those voices. <laughs> That's not very nice. <laughs> Things will get better. Um, but, no, it's uh, it's really great to see uh, the folks out. And they, too, are being careful. You know, they all have different sort of things they're comfortable with putting their volunteers through. 
but at the same time, it's important to them to introduce themselves to folks. So I've been enjoying that. Uh, and uh, again, I wish them all well. But I've said before that I'm not going to be quiet during the election. Um, I've been calling out misinformation as we see it. I'm not going to endorse anybody, I don't think. But ultimately, uh, I really do wish that the candidates would step out a little bit more and, you know, really help us understand their vision. It's all been a bit generic so far, in my opinion. Have you, as a Calgarian through and through, forever and a day, I'm wondering, you know, when you look ahead to October and we look at how many changes, are you somewhat dumbfounded or, you know, gobsmacked by, well, we're going to have a whole new team. It's going to be, it's going to be very interesting in the city. Yeah, I mean, there there is a world where there is a scenario where you would only have three or four um, continuing members of council. There's one scenario where I can think of where you would only have one member of council returning, uh, which is pretty crazy. Because mm-hmm. I mean, to be to be blunt, since I'm unleashed, I can say that two of the incumbents who are running for re-election don't deserve to be re-elected, and there's so there's quite a bit of uh, there's quite a bit of change happening. And it makes me very nervous. I don't mind telling you that. But as I've said for months, you know, part of this is that difficult times can also be times of great creation. And so it is an, it's a time for generational change now, uh, the biggest in our history, as a matter of fact, uh, that I think will lead to new leadership for new times. I do want to say, though, that it's important for voters to take this seriously. And it's important for voters to really look at their council candidates with much more rigor than you might normally, uh, just to make sure that you know exactly what they stand for, you know that they're flexible thinkers, and that they will be able to meet the moments. You know, yesterday I saw a friend who was saying to me, maybe I just want to vote for someone who's going to be terrible, and we'll just burn it all down, and then people will appreciate you more. And I was like, no, no, don't do that. No. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. That is a terrible idea. Okay, you know what is a good idea is us holding you over for another couple of minutes. Can you hang on? Absolutely. Perfect. A couple more minutes with the mayor. And uh, Mr. Mayor, I'm wondering your thoughts as we move out of the pandemic and we've seen these restrictions lifted in the city. Uh, I am seeing at the grocery store, I swear, 85, 90 percent of people still wearing masks and out and about indoor. And I, I think it's going to take some time. Uh, I am happy and I feel comfortable. What, what, what are you seeing? What are your feelings? I went to the grocery store myself yesterday and I realized that I've been doing curbside pickup. So it's the first time I've been in the grocery store. Um, in this whole time. And I saw the same as you. Uh, Almost everyone, including me, uh, was wearing the mask. And, you know, it's okay. Uh, And and we should just continue with this a little bit. Uh, You will have seen just today that although our rates are looking really good, the potential for growing infection is there, what we call the R number. Uh, The number of people who each infected person infects is creeping up again. And so, you know, even though there's no restriction or no rule requiring you to do it, I've noticed that most employers are still asking their employees to wear masks, that most people in stores are still doing it. And I think that's a good thing. And you don't have to do it forever and ever, though I do think that our culture has probably changed a little bit to be kind of more of an Asian culture where if you've got a cold or the sniffles, you're going to be more careful than you were before. And that's good for everybody. I've managed to go the whole year without a cold, which is unheard of. And um, so I hope that people will continue to be safe because when that fourth wave comes, we want to make sure that uh, it's not serious. We want to make sure that people are safe and people don't get really sick or admitted to the hospital. And so the things you can do for that are make sure you get that second dose. It's really important. Our first dose numbers are flattening out and I'd like to see them higher. 
But in particular, anyone who has a first dose, get that second dose. And continue to still wash your hands, still carry around the hand sanitizer, uh, and just try and be safe wherever you can. And we'll move on on this together and continue to save some lives. Absolutely. Before we let you go, a very important question, Mayor. It's going to be hot all weekend, and I don't know if you saw it, but there's a new flavor of ice cream out. It's called macaroni and cheese, and it looks revolting. So on that note, your favorite ice cream. If you're going to go out and get a cone tomorrow, what is it? I want to try the macaroni and cheese ice cream. Do you? Ew. You can have lots of it. Yeah, you can have all of it. I like a mix of sweet and spicy and salty generally. So my favorite flavor these days is salted caramel. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, I... I could try the macaroni and cheese. Ew. I don't know. They don't have it at the Stampede Midway this year, but perhaps next year. And we could sprinkle some bugs on it. That just sounds... No. Yeah, no, no, I don't need perfect. that. Perfect. Okay. Andy likes rum and raisin, and we're not we're not down Is with that Andy either. 85 years old? Right? <laughs> That's the question here. All right. So, uh, salted caramel, I am, uh, I'm open for that. In fact, let's maybe... Andy, Andy will buy us ice cream, Mayor, the next time we all get together. Deal. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much. As long as I don't have to have the rum and raisin. (laughs) No, nobody wants that. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy. Thank Thank you you very much. Stay safe, everyone. Stay cool and look after one another. That's Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. COVID cases on the rise and voting rights uh, could be in danger in the U.S. With more details, we are joined by Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. We're going to get to the, the COVID situation down south. Uh, coming up in a second in, in depth and just the, how, the scope of it. But news yesterday coming down, I believe, very late afternoon or early evening, that the mask mandate has actually uh, been re-implemented mm-hmm. in Los Angeles County indoors. So tell us about this development and, and just what the cases are like in L.A. That's right. And it's actually uh, regardless of vaccination status. I think that's the headline in all of this here. Uh, you know, there's, there's a reason for that, which is that you can't tell who's vaccinated and who's not at this point. But cases are spreading so rapidly there that they feel like it's uh, better to err on the side of caution at this point. Reimpose that indoor mask mandate. To put this in context, L.A. County is the largest county in the United States. It includes the city of Los Angeles, uh, has almost 10 million people. Uh, they've recorded more than a thousand cases per day each of the last six days had 1,500 cases just yesterday. Uh, what stands out amongst their amongst their surging case numbers, though, is that of the people in hospital and of the people who have died, 99.8% of them are unvaccinated. So that really tells you uh, that there is a lot of concern about this huge pool of unvaccinated individuals out there, even in a place like Los Angeles, which has one of the higher vaccination rates. And we do know, you know, if you can kind of politicize it, really, you can see that a lot of those states where vaccination numbers are really low are Republican sort of, you know, dominant states. And those that are vaccinated more Democrat in California, isn't that a more Democratic state? It is, but you're, you're absolutely right, Sue. You can overlay a map of who voted for Trump and who voted for Biden with rates of vaccination, and they line up pretty perfectly. There are counties, for example, in Arkansas, where the overall vaccination rate right now is below 15%. So it tells you there is a whole pool of Americans who are out there and completely unvaccinated, completely vulnerable to the Delta variant, despite the widespread availability of vaccines in this country. And widespread, we, we focused on L.A. and L.A. County, but... The latest number I see, and wonder if this is a current, Jackson, 46 states in total reporting rising infections? 
Uh, it's actually up to 49 now, wow. uh, and about 35 of them have seen increases of more than 50% in the last week. So, uh, you know, buckle up. I think we're in store for a pretty significant surge here. And essentially, the guidance from health officials is conduct yourself based on what the local scenario is. So if you're in a place like Washington, D.C., where the vaccination rate is uh, around 70% and case numbers are very low, you probably don't need to adjust your behavior right now. But if you're in one of those places where case numbers are surging, like Florida, more than 7,000 cases there just yesterday, uh, it may be time to reconsider wearing a mask regardless of your vaccination status because there are breakthrough cases that are happening. We know the vaccines are not 100% effective at preventing uh, people from contracting the virus, and you're seeing outbreaks of people who are fully vaccinated come down with at least mild symptoms. They're testing positive. They're staying out of the hospital, but they are still contracting the virus. And Jackson, no word of any new sort of restrictions or rules and regulations, you know, e.g. I look at the, uh, the situation in France and what they're implementing. No, no hint of that. No, I mean, I think it'll be on a local level like we're seeing in Los Angeles right now. I think the White House is making a bigger push to combat vaccine misinformation and to really encourage people on the local level to get vaccinated. Uh, yesterday, the Surgeon General actually came out and called vaccine misinformation a great public health threat. And they pointed out that uh, the vast majority of the talking points used by the anti-vax community right now are coming from just a dozen Facebook accounts. So they're calling on the social media giants, for example, to crack down on the spread of this misinformation. We need some, some clarification here because I read another uh, article about U.S. President Joe Biden advocating for voting rights protections. It's 2021, so you yeah. think that that would be a, a slam dunk and a done deal, but not the case because he's uh, battling some Republican state leaders. Tell us about this one. That's right. This is happening in about two dozen states where Republicans are playing off of Donald Trump's big lie about a stolen election and using that as an excuse to implement more restrictive voting measures. It's happening, for example, in Texas right now, where Democratic lawmakers in that state have actually left the state to avoid being compelled to vote on restrictive new measures that would limit the hours for early voting, for example, limit the availability of drop boxes for uh, mail-in ballots, things that, generally speaking, make it harder to vote. And so uh, state after state is doing this, and there are calls for Congress to pass some sort of national voting rights standards, because unlike Canada, where elections are run by a federal body, Elections Canada, here in the U.S., it's actually administered on a state-by-state or even county-by-county level. The restrictions and rules and ballot types vary wildly. And so what they're saying and what Biden is pushing for is a national set of standards to say who can vote, under what circumstances, and what basic guarantees do all Americans have in casting their ballots. Uh, that one is just a, a bizarre situation, as is a, a tweet that just seeing uh, on your Twitter feed, Jackson, about, uh, you know, Putin and Donald Trump. There seems to be some new information that's come out. Yeah, these are some papers that were obtained by the Guardian newspaper, which suggests that uh, sort of in keeping in line with the, the general sense and the general reporting over the past five years, that uh, not only did the Kremlin want Donald Trump to become president, but they may have actively undertaken a campaign to help him become president uh, because they believed in a, in a roundabout way that he would destabilize the United States because of his impulsiveness. Uh, this is, of course, uh, unverified by anybody other than the Guardian. But again, I think it's sort of keeping in line with... Uh, the, the suspicions and other reporting that's been out there over the past few years sort of feeds into that. And if nothing else, it's going to feed into the divisiveness in this country about those who say that, uh, you know, Russia wanted this, those who say that uh, it's all a hoax. Mm. It just sort of adds to that complicated mess. We haven't heard much, uh, you know, we haven't heard the name uh, former President Donald Trump much in the news lately whatsoever. So uh, can you tell us uh, from your knowledge what, what he's been getting up to? 
Well, he's actually on a speaking tour right now. So he uh, spoke at a conservative conference in Texas just last week. He has not changed his tone whatsoever, continues to push the lie that the election was stolen from him. Uh, it's unclear as to whether, of course, he's going to make a comeback in 2024 or simply position himself as a kingmaker. And you're sort of starting to see Republicans become more and more anxious about whether they're going to have to uh, wait for him to run one more time or wait for his endorsement so they can run themselves. Uh, but all along the way, Trump uh, continues to speak up, uh, continues to, uh, you know, rehash and relitigate the issues surrounding the 2020 election. And he's making it clear that he's not going anywhere. He's actually supposed to be going on a speaking tour with Bill O'Reilly here in the coming weeks as well. Although apparently, according to some reporting out today, they're having a hard time selling tickets. Interesting. We'll leave it at that, shall we? Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jackson. Always love talking to you. Have a great weekend. You too. And I know you didn't ask, but mint chocolate chip in case. Oh, good. Okay, thank you. Favorite ice cream. Awesome. We'll enjoy some this weekend. It's going to be a beauty. Take care. Thank you, Jackson Prosco. Of course, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Everybody's got a favorite, too. Everybody yeah. Has. At the outset of COVID shutdowns in our nation, uh, one of the first things hit were clothing donation bins run by Diabetes Canada. They had to put out warnings to people uh, to not drop off donations at their bins as they couldn't risk staff going to pick them up. That's all changed now. And while they're staying safe, the president and CEO of the National Diabetes Trust, Sean Shannon, says they're ready to start taking donations again. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time uh, with us this morning. Uh, Sean, how tough was it? to tell people to not drop off donations for such a long time because people want to do their thing and help out, and you had to put the brakes on that. Yeah, 2020 was, well, I think it's fair to say it caught pretty much the whole world flat-footed, and I guess we were we were no exception that way. So really difficult to just put the full brakes on 100% on our business and, uh, and therefore asking people to not do what they want to do, uh, what they like to do. Um, so 2020 was certainly a very hard time, uh, and, and certainly through that first wave. I guess we can call it the first wave now, can't we? Yeah. So, um, certainly it was, uh, it was very difficult for, the whole, for everybody to figure out, like, how do we move forward uh, safely, productively, efficiently? Uh, even, even a lot of the markets of which we would be uh, back then uh, uh, bringing our clothes to to monetize for the benefit of diabetes research were shut down. So really the whole chain just came to such a shutdown, but uh, as I've kind of half-jokingly said to people over the last uh, six months or so, uh, I think as a, as a country, as provinces, as municipalities, we've all gotten pretty good at this now, so we, we kind of understand how to operate safely and effectively, and, and markets uh, have uh, thankfully uh, uh, opened up to the point where today, uh, I don't know if we're fully back to normal, but it feels pretty close. It's nice feeling, isn't it, for sure? Uh, you know, we love to give, we love to donate, and, and I'm glad that the, the bins are available for us to drop things off at. I'm curious, though, sometimes we, we do that thinking that we're doing great good, but we don't really know how. So what happens with the stuff we drop off at the, at the diabetes bins? Yeah, well, we regularly uh, service bins, again, in normal times, and now it is much more normal. So, uh, and especially in Alberta, that's been the case now for uh, for a good period of time that uh, that we've been in very normal operation. So we have our folks, they go around on regular routes and they... Uh, they, they pick up the uh, donations that are placed inside a bin. I'll always remind people, you know, pre-COVID, post-COVID, during COVID, uh, always please put items inside the bin because that keeps them uh, that keeps them dry and therefore usable and such. So yeah, we collect them all up, and we've got a number of markets that uh, that we will uh, deliver those to and uh, get paid paid by the pound, basically. 
Um, and our net proceeds are able to go to all the good research of Diabetes Canada, including helping to send kids to camps and all sorts of great benefits uh, that, that simply come from people giving their, their lightly used clothing a second life. Sean, it's interesting. We've had all eyes on the pandemic, but I know within your organization, all eyes on this year. Kind of celebrating a 100th anniversary when it comes to the world of diabetes. Tell us about this. Yeah, well, it was 100 years ago um, that some of our uh, our uh, forefathers, uh, Banting and Best in particular, um, were uh, discovered and created uh, insulin, which up until that time, uh, there really wasn't a practical way to try to uh, aid people who were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So it really literally changed the world for those affected with type 1 diabetes 100 years ago. Uh, when the discovery of insulin and, and seeing how uh, it, it could be such an effective way to help people manage, not to cure, but but to manage uh, what was otherwise um, an extremely uh, difficult disease that uh, back then resulted in many people not not living very long. So it's a wonderful 100-year celebration of that. Um, so we like to acknowledge it. We're very proud as Canadians. I think we all are. Mm-hmm. And most Canadians would know that we have that history of discovering insulin. And, uh, of course, the job's done done there because, as I said, uh, we still have a long ways to go, and uh, um, we hope that uh, over the next 100 years uh, uh, that we find ways to actually uh, cure diabetes and really prevent it from affecting so many Canadians. Most definitely. Now, we also want to let people know that you've got a big event planned for August to help Calgarians declutter following the pandemic. So tell us what you've got going on. Yeah, we do. Well, we talked about you know how they can always uh, drive around and find one of our bins around the city. Um, of course, we also have a household pickup service that has been, uh, thankfully, again, back up and operational now in Calgary. So we're very happy about that. But we also wanted to do a series of curbside events. We're actually doing them right across Canada, uh, in part in recognition of the 100-year anniversary, uh, in part of kind of recognizing recognition of uh, all of uh, Canadians coming out of covid um, and, uh, and kind of having a little bit of a celebration, uh, uh, safe drop-off curbside events. We've got a number of them scheduled, but uh, including uh, in Calgary, our first one, uh, if you check our website, declutter.diabetes.ca, you'll see August the 7th is our first uh, event. We've got that at the Superstore to 100 Country Road Northeast. Um, and then on September 11th and October 16th, we've got some in other parts of the city there. So just another easy way. Uh, for Calgarians to gather up their uh, their items and to, uh, if they don't want to put drop it off in the bin, if they happen to be close by in that area, they can easily uh, do a curbside drop-off event, uh, as I said, at the Superstore on uh, on August the 7th. It's the first one up. John, let's uh, talk in broad terms of diabetes in our nation and, you know, Diabetes Canada, one heck of a resource, because I know that, you know, if it's in your family and we have diabetes in, in my extended family, in the sense that, it does affect the entire family when a family member, particularly a child, is uh, diagnosed with diabetes. And you, you need some strong resources, don't you? You, you really do. And, uh, you know, you need your, your whole, you need your family for sure. You need your family physician. Um, you need good resources like Diabetes Canada. Uh, if, if people have not gone to the Diabetes Canada website, there is just a lot of really, really helpful, useful uh, information and uh, connections to support groups and everything you, you know. You, I think most people would uh, would really want to know um, in, in terms of how to, as a family, um, think about that. Uh, whether it's for a family member, for them personally, of all the different avenues available for for them to live their best life. 
Well, we thank you so much for joining us, Sean. We'll send people to diabetes.ca, of course. And we'll also, uh, again, that website to get in on the action if you're looking to uh, maybe declutter. Declutter Declutter.diabetes.ca as well. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. That is Sean Shannon, President and CEO of National Diabetes Trust. And it's a big show and it's a big stage and you have to do it for 10 straight nights of the Calgary Stampede. Angela Benson is the first female director of the Grandstand Show. And if you ask anyone who's seen it so far, she is rocking it. Good morning, Angela. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. I had the pleasure of being there last night, as a matter of fact, and I would concur. It is a fantastic stage show. Stampede's been around for over 100 years, so why so long to have a woman running the grandstand show? And, and is it even a big deal? Should it be a big deal to us? You know what? I don't think it should be a big deal. You know, we have had so many amazing people work on the grandstand show for so many years. And actually, I've been blessed enough to work on the Grand Social myself for over 18 years in various roles. And, you know, I have learned the inner workings of the grandstand show and have amazing mentors. Even the past director, uh, Mr. Brian Foley, he's personally mentored me for 18 years. And this was the year that I was ready to take the reins. And boy, what a year it is. <laughs> Angela, so, you know, I am, uh, you know, far from a theater person or in a show of this grand. So I'm wondering if you give us a behind the scenes look on what exactly a director does. What, what's your job? Well, you know what? My main job is to make sure that every single person on our production team is on the same page and we're all working towards that same creative vision. And, you know, not a lot of people know, but our production team is humongous. We have probably over 50 people working behind the scenes from our world-class pyrotechnics to our amazing audio, visual screens, lighting, costume designs, choreography. There is so much that goes into the show and so many amazing people. And I tell you, our production team is second to none. After all these years, do you find yourself watching the show because it's just that good? Or are you just too busy, you know, directing traffic and making sure everything goes the way it's supposed to? You know what? Every single year and every single day that I watch the show, it truly is a pinch me moment. There is no other stage like that grandstand stage around the world. And trust me, I have looked, I've, you know, performed around the world myself. And that grandstand stage is so special. And it takes so much to put on a show like this. And, you know, especially during this year, it was uh, it was a feat all on its own. But, uh, you know, I'm so proud of how far we've come and the show that we have on that stage this year. You mentioned the production team of 50, and, and that doesn't include the, the many, many different performers and, of course, the young Canadians. I'm wondering, it's so much fun. You entertain us. What's it like? Is it fun when people are working on the show? Absolutely. You know what? That's the main thing. We all get to entertain audiences for a living, and we always try and bring fun into it. And if it's not fun, then why would any of us want to do it? You know, Mm -hmm. we are all so passionate about performing arts and being able to bring a world-class show and world-class entertainment to audiences, especially audiences of Alberta, for this year, you know, we don't, for the Stampede, usually audiences from around the world get to come. But this year, this one is for us, and this one truly is for Albertans. And it is fun, and it's fabulous. I highly recommend everybody get down there and check out the Grandstand Show. Thank you so much, and congrats, Angela. Appreciate your time. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you. That is Angela Benson, the director of the Stampede Grandstand Show. First female to do it, calgarystampede.com. And it really is fantastic and out of this world. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.